We want to continue this morning in uh, looking in Colossians. I would tell you, this is, this is just me, okay? So this is just kind of a, but it was actually this week, what has it been, four and a half months we moved here? Four and a half months, something like that. Some of you are like, seems like four and a half years. Uh, but uh, this week was the first week that I actually walked away and thought, you know what? That looks like a week I remember it, used, it was like, you know. Um, I feel like I'm finally going to hit a groove here. And so I'm excited because I feel like I'm finally landing the plane here. We've got the baggage out and we're starting to get. Now we haven't moved into a home yet. So, but um, uh, yeah, just in the way the week went and my study. Um, there's just a lot of things when you move. You, you, you just take care of a lot of stuff. And so I am, I am, I'm fueled. I'm excited about uh, what looked like a normal schedule for me. So this has been, it's been exciting for me this week. I, I feel like, hey, I'm here, I'm in, uh, and now let's just hit in the groove. But I want to remind you of these things. Context change, but people stay the same. Context change, but people stay the same. I also want to remind you that so often the story of our lives and the story of humanity is we try too hard. We try too hard. It can be rightly said that we are our worst enemy. We try too hard. And then third, I want to remind you that Jesus is enough. And that word enough is is picked intentionally because I believe that is what ultimately Colossians is trying to communicate to us. It's maybe just in that one word, enough. We've kind of categorized it as Jesus is alone is everything. He is greater. But I would also like to throw in that word for you and I to understand that Jesus is enough. And I believe that this book... Uh, adequately uh, fleshes that out through the book that you cannot walk away and not see that the word that's being communicated to us through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's word directly to us, yes, to that church 2,000 years ago, but beyond that to us is simply that Jesus is enough. He's enough. We understand that word uh, in our culture and, and, and we kind of identify with that word because we are always looking for something that is enough. It meets our need and Jesus is enough. I would remind you that as this book started out, this greater life that Colossians would tell us about, it does involve right up front a, a response from us, a commitment from us, what I would call a greater faith that immediately when you start to read this book, as he's writing to, he's introducing himself, he's talking about their common things, what is entailed and what he's going to share, it's built around this idea of a greater faith. This doesn't work. The message that you need to hear will not mean squat to you unless you have placed your faith into Jesus Christ and you have exercised this greater faith, this faith that doesn't believe in us. You can't help but read phrases early on like being strengthened by his glorious might. The father who has qualified you. He has rescued you. In whom we, in whom 
We have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. You can't start reading this book but realize that the faith that I'm placing my, my hope in, this Jesus, this, this, this one who has come, has done all of this, my faith is quickly not about what I can do or could do, but it's in what he has done and what he calls me to. And so quickly, the greater life depends on the faith that we place in the one who is greater. And that is an abandonment of ourself. I cannot rescue myself. I cannot provide my redemption. I cannot qualify myself. I do not have the ability to bring about forgiveness. And I can definitely not strengthen myself. It's a faith that is completely resting on his grace, his ability, his mercy mercy and his love. That faith also in that, in that opening phrases uses the, the, the phrase that we might live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. And this faith that he calls us to, it's not believing in us but in him, is a faith that is bold and it's radical and it calls us to get off the fence because there is no way that I can live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way unless I am all in with him. And for us to experience the greater life he has, it's this life, living a life worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every way. It calls for a, a faith that is radical. It's committed. It's I'm all in, Lord. And obviously the scriptures all throughout so many times call us to this kind of commitment, this kind of life. It also, this faith entails this, it calls us to an effective life. Bearing fruit in every good work. These are his opening comments. I'm praying that you might bear fruit in every good work. This faith, it is an effective life. It's an effective faith. And it calls for us to believe that God is working in us. He does want to use us. And that as we go out, as we claim the name of Jesus, as we identify with him, as we give ourselves completely to him, that he is then going to use our life in a way that bears fruit, that's effective, that's influential. And I, I, I mentioned this and and I kind of grabbed that phrase out of those because I have met so many people who truly, truly, truly do not grasp the fact that God can and wants to use them. For whatever reason, it's like, okay, I, I believe that, I believe you can save me, I can place my faith in you, but I really don't really believe that then you want to use me. And early on, he's saying, man, I'm calling you to this faith in Jesus Christ. And that faith, it is, it, what it involves is you bearing fruit, you being effective, you being used by me. That's a part of what this greater life is all about. Now, I would stop to just remind you that Paul is writing this. Uh, he's never been there. Uh, Epaphras who he mentions in his introductory comments, was probably the guy who founded the church, a co-worker with Paul, a friend of Paul. He was with Paul. He left Paul. He ended up in Colossae, this little town, and he, uh, he starts this church. And so Paul is writing to this church that he's never met, but 
through obviously the word of Epaphras, it has gotten back to him that the church is facing certain kinds of uh, <clears throat> dangers. Um, and it's caught up mainly, although we can't completely put our hands on every part of the danger that was involved in Colossae, it's obvious as Paul writes here, and he's written to other churches, that one of the common dangers of that day, false teachings of that day, was this idea of Gnosticism. Uh, now, it sounds like a... Uh, a word I don't really care to understand probably, you know, it's like, okay, just read over that and uh, whatever. But in essentially Gnosticism, uh, here's a rude or here's a crude, uh, very base definition of Gnosticism. These guys looked around at the world and they saw how broken and fallen and messed up this world was. And, they, and, and their idea of who God could, should be and their, their reality of the world, they thought, man, this is so messed up. There is no way God could have created this. Somehow matter must be what we have. This world is just completely evil. And God could not have created this. There's something disconnected here. And so they begin to adopt this idea that this world was not created by God, but that <clears throat> intermediaries, angels, kind of spiritual things, had slowly begun to reveal God to us so that we could get a picture of who God was. But he was distant. He was um, <clears throat> absent from creating this world. And they would teach that matter, the world, was just completely evil. There's nothing we can do to change the way this world operates. You just need to simply try to fill your spirit, your, which is your mind, your heart, with knowledge of God and try to understand some things about God. And the more you knew about God, even though it could not affect the way that you live, because matter's evil, you're caught, you're done, you're going to live this way, that at least you could have some kind of hope and salvation through just uh, through what you knew about God, the experiences you could begin to have spiritually with this God. And they would teach then, and what crept into this church, is that Jesus, man, he was a good guy, good teaching, good stuff, but you know what? Honestly, there is no way that he is God, and there, but and really what has happened is that Jesus was just another person to come along and try to teach us a little bit more about who God is. He's just another, in their words, angel or being trying to help them understand about God. You say, that sounds really far-fetched. I grew up in church. I would reject that. It doesn't even come close. I would tell you, yes, it sounds far-fetched. But the essence of Gnosticism has always hung around in our world even today. And in those words, if you'll think about what I've told you, what they believed, you would be able to see that in different ways, manifested in different ways even in our world today. And so this is what Paul is trying to help them work through to understand. And in the middle of, uh, of this, uh, as he begins his introduction, he moves into this section we're going to read today, which quite honestly probably is the first worship song ever, or one of the first worship songs of the early church. 
I don't know how they pulled this off. I don't know what the chorus was. I don't know what the verses were. I don't know where the bridge was. But history teaches us that this portion that we're going to look at today was used by them in their worship. These are the words they would sing in the early church. Because Paul, as he's trying to confront the teaching about who Jesus is, because that's at the core of everything. Do you realize every what we would call cult in the world today, at the core of what they do is they change the position, the nature, the person of Jesus Christ. Because essential to what Christianity is about is Jesus Christ. And so Paul just gives them this beautiful picture into who Jesus is, what they need to know. They're facing this, well, he's just another good teacher. He's just a, 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 another prophet. He, there's nothing more special about him than anybody else. He's just another one in the line that's trying to teach us, show us about, yes, he was special. Yes, there was something unique about him, but there's no way that he is what Paul, the teaching has been that he is God. And so he then presents these verses uh, in, first, or in Colossians chapter 1. Here's how it reads. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight. Without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. I'm not sure how that song would have went. Where's the bridge? Where's the chorus? I, I'm interested. I want to know. But these are the words that they would take and they would sing in the early church because in these words, we are given a glimpse into the most startling view of this man, Jesus. He starts with these words. He is the image of the invisible God. Now, to help set this up, I want to remind you of, of, of the invisible God. It's like uh, what Timothy said, that God is who alone is immortal and who lives in an approachable light, whom no one has, who has seen or can see, right? 
That is like basic to what we know. Have you seen God? Absolutely not. Uh, what is it? John said, no one has seen the Father. Um, you know, if you go back into the Old Testament imagery, you see Moses asking to see God. And God saying, there's no way, Moses, you can handle it. And so he, he, he begins by introducing Jesus in this way, reminding us of the fact that God himself has been invisible. He is un unapproachable who no one has seen or can see. We're reminded, though, that there is a, a shadow of who he is. Romans chapter 1 says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are without excuse. So I have not seen God, but I can look around at the way the world works, the way that it's ordered, the way, and I can begin to understand a little bit about God. In fact, I can understand enough that I am without excuse in saying that there is no God. Because his creation declares through <clears throat> his eternal power and divine nature. So although I have not seen him, I cannot see the Father, it's unapproachable. He has revealed a little bit about himself through his creation so that man is without excuse. But the way, okay, who drank out of these? <clears throat> oh my, I'm just going to make it. <clears throat> but here's what, I didn't mean to, thanks Darren. I'm starting to get scratchy here, yeah. <clears throat> so, but what happens then is Paul begins to show to these people and to us that although the Father has never been seen, in fact, he was a fearful, ominous, can't see or you're gonna die type presence, has always been, that actually he has revealed himself more and more and more to actually come to the fullest extent when he says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Or Hebrews says it a little better, I think, this way. Hebrews 1. The Son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Sustaining all things by his powerful word. This word image, it, it carries with it words like representation, but even further than that, manifestation. It's, uh, it's like portrait, photograph, but it goes beyond that. Because as we read, because people would say, okay, so he's kind of like God, but this does not mean that he is God. Paul says, he is the image of the invisible God. But he goes on further in this passage and says, I'm going to tell you actually that he is God. For in him the fullness of God dwelt completely. <laughs> in classical Greek, the term image or exion, which is the word used, had to do with a die or a stamp. 
In the New Testament Greek, though the word carries with it the idea of an exact replica, a precise copy, a representation. So God who has been invisible, God who has been far away, God who is approachable as a spirit, who is what we cannot see, has now made himself known through the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the exact imprint of the nature and of the glory of God. Which means if you want to know who God is, if you want to know what God's like, if you want to know how he'll respond to you, if you want to know what his tone is, if you want to know what stirs up anger in him, where he extends mercy, you look at the person of Jesus Christ. Isn't this awesome for us? Because for thousands of years, it was like, whoa. I mean, even that one guy, he better be right when he goes in that one time on the day of atonement, or he's coming out dead. I mean, and now in Jesus Christ, he's saying that he, that one, is exactly who God is. God has revealed himself. He's made himself known, and it is in the person of Jesus Christ. You want to know the nature and character of God? Go to Jesus this is awesome this is what this is what brings to us a complete understanding of what God is truly like for so long year after year decade after decade generation after generation it was God has we've sinned God's angry make a sacrifice Hope for the best. And then all of a sudden, God breaks into our world through the Virgin Mary and comes himself into our world in his flesh and reveals to us exactly who God is. This is God when they pick up stones to stone the woman. He shows mercy. This is the God who repeatedly with Zacchaeus shows mercy, love. This is the God all through the, you want to know who God is? Well, don't get out of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because you are seeing exactly what God is like, how he thinks, how he acts, how he responds. And that is what Paul begins to introduce them to this person of Jesus Christ. I would remind you that Man was made in God's image, yes. <clears throat> Sin came and distorted. And Paul is saying, you know what? As you were made in his image, and in that image you got a glimpse of who he was, and the garden was a chance for you to connect with him. But sin has come in, and it has completely destroyed what you know about God, or as 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What has happened to us is we have lost all understanding of what God is like, and Jesus brings that completely back to us. Look at Jesus. He is what God is, and he is also what men, man was meant 
to be, meant to look like. You know, I think of how we have distorted this. I think of it uh, like you ever have your kids at the beach do the king of the castle game? And you build up a mound of sand and... um, and then one kid, King of the Hill, or oh, that's a TV show. <laughs> King of the Mountain, you ever play that game? But especially at the beach, King of the Castle. And the whole idea is to stand on top, right? To fight off whoever, I don't know what you're using. But you know what happens in King of the Castle? As everyone is attempting to try to be King of the Castle, what happens to the castle? It's exactly what has happened with our world. As we have fought in our sinful fallen nature to be king of our castle, we have destroyed, destroyed what was inherently given to us and showed us the nature and the character of God. And so we are so upside down that we can't even, we're blinded. And Jesus has come to, to not just show us a little bit about God. He has come. He is the image of the invisible God. In fact, he's beyond image. He is the exact representation of God because he is God. Amen. And see, that's what Colossians are going to talk about a little bit later because he calls us to now in Jesus put on the new man which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. (laughs) The idea is, see Jesus, he's what it's about, he's God, and he has revealed himself to you, he has called you, he has saved you, he is working in you to then restore the whole image thing that God started with in the garden. It's only possible through this one Jesus Christ. He says he's the firstborn over all creation. The firstborn over all creation. Firstborn is used 130 times in the Bible, and it is always, almost always used to describe status or power. I watched this kooky guy last night on YouTube. This guy who believes that Jesus was created. He's not Eternal. He's not part of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he's using this firstborn of all creation to say, look, this is, uh, this is the fact that Jesus was created by God, and, and that is a complete misrepresentation of what this is saying. When the Bible says firstborn, most often it is always referring to status or power. It's not referring to chronolog, chron, chronolog whatever that word is chronological time. He's the firstborn. In his status and rank, he is number one. In fact, the Old Testament uses the idea of firstborn as a title of the Messiah. It's what John 1 says when it says this, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God, He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that was not. Nothing was made that has been made. He is the 
firstborn. He is the senior rank, top rank of all creation. For by him, All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, thrones or powers, rulers or authorities. All things were created by him and for him. Now this is honestly a little jab at Caesar. Remember? Um, uh, They would write things, O nature, from thee are all things, in thee are all things, to thee all things return. Paul is saying, that's close Caesar, but there's something above creation. Creation is not ultimately ultimate. Creation serves something higher and that something is Jesus Christ. And I would remind you to understand as we look at this that the description of the invisible world here carries a ton of weight. We are so earthbound, so clued into the visible that we miss so often the fact that there is the invisible world, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, but the Bible never misses that. And Jesus actually is the one who has created all of that. And what we need to understand about our world is we are far more spiritual than physical in nature. We need to clue into that. Make sure we understand that. We need to nurture and feed, protect the spiritual dimension of our life far more than we nourish and feed and protect the physical nature of our life. Boy, that doesn't go well, right? How many exercise joints are there and how many nutritional things and how, how much are we focused on the physical aspect And yet the idea that we're spiritual by nature and that's what is actually eternal, that is what's core, is so often ignored. But he doesn't ignore that. And when he looks at Jesus as the creator, he sees actually referring to these thrones, principalities, authorities, power, something that is vastly more spiritual than physical in nature. What is he doing? He is showing us Keep going. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. I, had, I thought about showing a cool video, but obviously it was a bad idea because it would have been two minutes and 40 seconds, and I don't have two minutes and 40 seconds. But it actually was just a, a picture of our planets in orbit. Do you realize that if the Earth's rotation slowed down at all, we would ultimately freeze and burn. If we got any further or nearer to the sun, (laughs) uh, we would either freeze or burn. It is perfect in its alignment. Our globe is tilted on an axis at 23 degrees, which enables us to have four seasons. If it wasn't tilted like that, great ice continents would pile up on the north and the south. If the moon didn't remain at its exact distance from the earth, the ocean tide would completely inundate the land twice a day. If the ocean slipped to a few feet deeper than it is, carbon dioxide and oxygen in the earth's atmosphere would be completely absorbed and no vegetable life could exist. Something, somebody's got to make sure that everything hangs together. And if I took some moment with science to show you how perfect the orbit is around the earth, how it doesn't move, and if it were to move just a fraction closer, we would all be fried. If it got a little bit farther, we'd all just become, you know, ice age. Something's holding that together. In fact, scientists 
And just remember that our Milky Way is one of what they now are saying there are billions. I mean, there are billions of stars. You've probably seen Louis Giglio talk about the size of stars, haven't you? The mass of stars. All of that, all of it, beyond our comprehension, the scriptures say that he holds it all together. Who holds it all together? Jesus Christ. In fact, scientists continue their search for the holy grail of science, the theory of everything, the simple set of laws that explains every complex detail of our universe. And yet Colossians says that Jesus is exactly who that is. A uh, a physics professor at George Washington says that every object is a potential potential nuclear explosive without without being blown to bits. He says it's incredible who holds it all together. Science, they call it this nuclear glue. And I don't want to get into it, but this, the absence of neutrons. And how does it, why doesn't it all blow? Why doesn't it all just combust? Why? There's something and science can't explain it. They call, they're looking for it. They just come with this phrase. They call it nuclear glue. We don't understand it. Maybe you've seen even a little bit of like when Louis Giglio talks about laminin in the human body. There's something that holds it all together. Well, guess what it is? It's Jesus Christ. He holds all things together. And Paul is simply referring, is simply trying to express to us that Jesus, you want to know about him? He is exactly what God looks like. You want to know God? See Jesus. And you need to understand the power of who this Jesus is. Christ is greater because he is Lord of creation. He introduces us to creation, but he continues and says he's the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. The world is the creation of Christ, but guess what? The church is the new creation of Christ. And he says that he is the head. The head not only gives direction, but it gives life and strength, growth and guidance. It's the head that does all this. And it says that he is the one who is not only birthed into world or spoke into world or spoke into existence the world and breathed out the stars, but he is developed. He is the, he is the creator of this dynamic that we now enjoy, which is the church. And he's the head of it. And because he's the head of it, he is exactly the one who gives it life and strength and growth and guidance. When it says he is the beginning of, he is the beginning um, He is the beginning, and the firstborn from among the dead. Again, that word beginning is carrying with it that not as he just in time, the first, but he is actually the source. He is the generating energy of the church. He is the one who has brought it to life, brought it to existence. And again, that firstborn is he is the primary position of the church. And Jesus is greater because he is Lord of the church. But he keeps going and he refers in these verses through him to reconcile to himself all things, things on earth, heaven, things on earth, things in heaven by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your own mind because of your behavior, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through death 
to present you holy in his sight. As he continues to show us that you need to understand who Jesus is. He is greater because he is Lord of creation. He is greater because he is the source, the life. He is everything of the church. But guess what? Even beyond that, Jesus is greater because he is Lord of reconciliation. That he has brought, <laughs> he has brought us broken. The greatest thing he's done is to restore and reconcile us to God. So, that's what he's saying. What does that mean? Well, I would say that context change, but people stay the same. Always, always, in different ways, there has been a play in our world, in our culture, to downplay the person and the nature and the mission of Jesus Christ. You go into a university today, Jesus is not held up as the Lord of creation, is he? He's not esteemed as the image of the invisible God, is he? He's a good person. He was a good teacher. He was, right, all this stuff. But what makes us inherently Christian is the recognition on our part and the faith in the fact that he is the image of the invisible God, that he is Lord of creation. And always, 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 there will be the pull, the tendency to downplay Jesus' power. Our kids, my kids are going to face it far more than I have. They are going to downplay the person of Jesus Christ in everything they face in this world. And yet, what does Colossians tell us? <laughs> he holds all things together. Context changed, people stay the same. The idea there was to... to Add things to Jesus into their church, into their worship. But you know what Paul says? That he is greater because he is the Lord of his church. <laughs> everything we do and everything we're about should be about connecting to the head who is Jesus Christ. Everything we do here, the way we orient everything should be to lift him up, to bring us to an encounter with him, to experience his life-changing grace and power in our lives. And to understand that without the presence and the power of Jesus in everything we do, we are just another religion. That's what they're trying to do here, these teachers. They're downplaying who Jesus is. You need to, you need to also add uh, this to the mix. You need to incorporate this. You need to, and Paul is saying, nope, you don't need anything else because he is the source, the true life of the church. I would tell you, our culture today, it's amazing if you go on and read Christianity Today, church leaders, all this stuff of the stuff that's creeping into churches, 
how we are, we are combining Eastern religions with Jesus Christ. And we're, we're trying to supplement and enhance our worship and what we do and all this stuff. And all the while, it's always been about one thing, Jesus Christ and Christ alone. The worship of him, the seeking after him, the inviting of his presence and power and grace into our lives. Context change, people stay the same. He is Lord of reconciliation. He is truly the only one that gives us peace with God and peace from God. Amen? Amen. All right, I, th- I believe I'm preaching to the choir today. So, oh, come on, you're doing good. So, the th- I would remind you too that we try too hard. I can't help but read that passage about one who holds all things together and in whom all things consist and think, you know what, Chip? Why in the world are you racked with doubt sometimes? Why do you question whether God can and will and is capable in my life? I can't read that passage and walk away and say, well, Lord, I don't know if you can do it. And what happens is human nature so often tries too hard. I've got to fix it. I've got to. No, you don't. Turn yourself to the one who holds all things together. We try too hard. And then obviously the third one is without explanation that if you can't, if you read that passage, you definitely have to say that Jesus is enough. In fact, he is way more than enough. He's everything. Amen? Amen. I would leave, I would leave you with this. This was cool to me. It might not be cool to you. But the word of God begins with this little phrase, in the beginning, right? In is a preposition, right? And the way this Hebrew word, in the beginning, is that word, is it's the preposition that can be in or by or for. And the other word, beginning, carries with it the idea of beginning, sum total, head, or first fruits. That's the way that word's constructed. Do you know what Colossians says about Jesus? All things were created in Christ, by Christ, for Christ. Before all things, holds all things together, head of the body, beginning before all things, sum total, holds all things together, head, head of the body, first fruits, firstborn from among the dead. So even in that first little phrase, that word in Hebrew, in the beginning, Paul comes back and what he explains in Colossians is exactly Jesus Christ. In the beginning, Jesus. And that's what we need to know. Grab on to that today. Allow that to saturate your heart and mind and cause you to have bold and confident 
faith in the one that you have given your life to. <laughs> Let's stand. Father, as we go from this place, we just want to resound the nature, the character, the person of Jesus Christ. And Lord, in my stumbling words, Lord, I've just tried to start us on that path. But your Holy Spirit is so much more capable to as we leave this place, the words that you inspired, that you gave to continue to live within us, that you are before all things and in you all things were created that were created and you are the one who were everything that was created for you by you and for you and in you all things hold together <laughs> help us to grab a hold of that and know that because life and the enemy of our soul is trying to, to take us down a, a road that, that causes us to doubt your person your power, your ability. Keep these words close to us and the, and, the, and the reality of what they mean so that we, we exercise this greater faith in the one who was and is and is to come. The image of the, the, image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. We worship you, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Have a great Sunday.